Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. If Sarah can woo herself, I can. Got to make the most of it, haven't you? So, great to be with you all tonight. I'm really excited about the Word of God. Does anybody else get excited about the Word of God? I mean, if you don't, you can be honest and you can just pretend that you do. But I want to encourage you to get to a place where that is the norm for you. Every time you open the Scriptures, just just you, you expect and you experience God to speak to you. And I don't mean just a general speaking, but that the, literally the words jump out the page into your heart. And the idea is that you can then do something incredibly productive with that. What I was thinking about this evening um, in terms of the, the message generally, I got this picture of a snow globe. I'm hoping that's what it's called. I, I was thinking snow cone, but that's the American for ice cream, right? Yeah, yeah. Snow globe. Don't think ice cream, think snow globe. One of the things that you probably, if you were like me, you had as a kid, and it was like 50p from the knickknack shop at Skegness or something, and you got it in your, um, you got it in your Christmas presents or a birthday present, and it's had snow. You shook it up, and all the snow flooded around. You waited about 30 seconds, and it all dropped down again. Yeah. Now I've got to remember why I thought about that. No, I remember. I remember. I remember because I felt that God wanted to sh- do a bit of a shaking tonight. Okay. Now it might be that God is already shaking you, and this word is for you. If you're, I don't want to say coasting, but if life is just going okay at the moment, we all know there are highs and lows in life, right? Um, and if, if that's you, then I believe that I'm believing for God to give you a holy disruption. Slightly muted amens on that one, but hopefully by the end, we'll get some more enthusiasm uh, on that. Here's another little analogy that I had. Um, So if that one didn't work for you, um, then here's another one. It's quite simply this, the refresh button. But a lot of us will just use a computer now or something of an electronic nature. And sometimes you just need to press the refresh button. Or that classic um, tech help solution, turn it off and turn it on again. Yeah, eight out of ten times it does the job, doesn't it? Uh, been working on the computer quite a lot recently and, and it seems to be getting stuck and jammed and sometimes you just need to turn the program off and put it back on again. Well, let tonight be one of those instances where maybe things are okay but actually they're not working as well we know as they should be. Let's refresh tonight. I really want us to get to a place where we come out of this building having met with God but having identified something that we know and we might have already come knowing and it might be a confirmation for you but whatever it is whether you've known this or you get revealed tonight where you can walk away knowing that God is going to help you in that to be more complete in your Christian life if you know Jesus tonight then we should be living life to the full. John 10, 10, it was spoken and mentioned this morning in the service up at the hub in Ed Walton. Uh, uh, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Jesus also 
um, in one instance, in Matthew 22, uh, he was as he was speaking to the crowds, and as happened a lot, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, wanted to trap Jesus because Jesus came with some outlandish statements and comments. It wasn't outlandish to him because he was revealing what was meant to be from the very beginning of time, but man in their sinful state have messed it up and contorted it and changed it to their own uh, ways. But Jesus came and he pressed the refresh, but he says, no, this is how it is. And, and lots of people would contend with him and try and trap him and trip him up. And Matthew 24, 34, we'll start just a few scriptures tonight, not too many. Um, it says, when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply. He just came up with some brilliant replies. If you've been reading the Bible any amount of time, you'll see in the Gospels that he did it regularly. Well, when the Pharisees heard this, they met together to question him again. So they kind of regathered, right, guys, how can we, how can we trap him? And they came back with the best thing they could think of, and they thought, this will get him. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses. You've got to understand, if you didn't realize, there were hundreds of them. And they saying, like, there's no way Jesus is going to, there's not one main one. And Jesus replied, they're thinking, ah, God, got him now, aren't we? Jesus replied, probably as cool as you like, but assertively with authority, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Wow. There's a guy called Jordan Peterson. Anybody heard of Jordan Peterson? Yeah, great guy, great guy. He needs to get over the line and be a believer, but he seems very close there if he's not there at all. But he's got a book, a bestseller, great book actually, 10 Rules for Life. 12 Rules for Life. I read it a while ago. <laughs> And he's got another one, 12 more rules, I think. Uh, great, great read. I haven't read the second one. I read the first one. I follow him quite a lot. I think he's got an incredible amount of, of wisdom, uh, especially for this day and age. But even the dizzy heights of philosophy that a Jordan Peterson can give us, it's nothing. It's nothing on what Master Jesus comes up with and compresses it all into the one main rule for life. That is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Here's the common denominator, all. We've got to give our all to Jesus. I know it's hard. I'm not perfect at this by any stretch of the imagination, but I know it's our goal. I know the Bible is clear that I have crossed the line. If you've crossed the line from darkness to light, the idea is we've not tapped We've not just tipping our toe on the other side to see and just to get some benefit. No, it's to jump in, to dive in, to immerse ourselves in this life, to give it our all. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So the title of my message tonight is this, No Exceptions to the Rule. No Exceptions to the Rule to the rule we've been given the rule of life and I'm here to maybe remind us maybe to jolt us 
maybe to stir us up, maybe to shake us and say, come on, the way that you're living maybe, the way that I'm living, I was convicted this week about something and the, the, the things that we do are not all in line with the way that Jesus wants us to live and has provided a way for us to live through dying on a cross. And I'm, pre I'm preaching to myself. I'm front of the queue here. I'm preaching to myself as well. We all should be living. If we think of the enormity of what God did in sending Jesus Christ to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death, a torturous, humiliating, excruciating death when he didn't have to. He could have called a legion of angels and they would have rescued him. But he didn't. He willfully went because he knew that our sins had to be forgiven so that we could live a righteous life in the righteousness of God and throughout eternity as well. And the only way he could do that was dying on a cross, going into the grave, being baptized into death, if you, if you will, and raising up again in newness of life so that we could have that very same experience. So if he's done all that, why, oh, why do we struggle? And I say we again because I'm in this. Why do we struggle to live that full life, to live that all life without any exceptions? Well, first, let's have a, a little look. We're going to look in two, two main places of the Bible. 1 Kings 3, verses 1 3. This is what grabbed me this week. If you read in the Bible in a year, the daily audio Bible, I know a number of us in the church follow that. And um, this struck me a few days ago, and I didn't get past these three verses for about an hour. And um, here I am uh, preaching, and it wasn't meant to be. Bless, bless her, Claire was meant to be up tonight, and uh, she's been going through a few things. So continue to pray for her health and the restoration of that. Um, but I knew immediately when she said it, this message um, wasn't just for me, but it was for all of us and within the sound of my voice on the podcast tonight. And so uh, 1 Kings, uh, let me just read it, a few verses. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at the local places of worship, for a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. Solomon, if you know anything about the, the, the main Bible stories, particularly in the Old Testament, he was a great king in that he was the wisest man on earth. I, I still think he could well be the wisest man to ever live and probably will ever live. He was the son of King David. And um, you read, if you read on in these verses where I did eventually get to, I was reminded of that time where um, straight after these verses, that famous little narrative of scripture where God speaks to Solomon in a dream and basically says, you can have whatever you want. What do you want? Your, ki your kingdom is established now on the earth. What do you I'll give you anything. 
I'll give you anything. And um, Solomon didn't ask for wealth and riches, but he asked for wisdom to rule and govern the land and God's people. And God granted it him because that's what he said he would do. And he gave him the wealth and riches as well. Most of the Proverbs in the Bible are all written by and inspired by God through the heart and mind of Solomon. So many, so many uh, things that maybe we say that we don't even realize are from the heart of Solomon. Even now, I, I, I would, I don't know, I hate to put an estimate, but I would say a significant, if not the vast amount of business strategies are all in Proverbs. And there's nothing new under the sun in that respect. You can go on courses. Anything that enhances your life, that edifies you, you'll find it in the Bible in some way, shape, or form. That was the man of Solomon. But Solomon had two instances in these verses where right at the beginning of his reign, cracks were appearing. And, and here they are. So the, let's see, the cracks became exceptions to the rule. Those cracks are found in verse, uh, one is in verse one, where it says, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughter. God specifically said in his law, back and you can read it in Deuteronomy, he said for the Israelites, and particularly the kings, not to make any association or alliance with foreign nations, particularly Egypt, which was where they were slaves in. It was, a, it was an activist saying, look, I've got you here. Keep trusting me. I've got you out there. Trust me. You don't need any help from any other nations. And maybe you might be able to argue it was misaligned wisdom, but and I don't think it was a good possibility that Solomon was um, making this alliance with Pharaoh and his daughter, marrying one of his daughters, for political reasons, so that they wouldn't be... Uh, uh, go to war and invaded or have any disputes and things like that uh, and this and this went on Solomon actually got to the place where where women controlled him and at the end it was his downfall it's a really really sad end I hate I hate stories with a sad end don't you I mean I, I really hate them I, I, I passionately hate stuff if I'm watching a film and it's not got a happy ending, or even if it's just quite neutral, I'm like, no, I've been hyping all up to this. I don't mind if it goes down and then up, then really down, as long as it shoots back up. But Solomon's didn't shoot back up. In fact, it was the cracks, the exceptions to the, to the way that God says we should live all out for him that eventually came his downfall. I mean, this guy had 700 wives. Fellas, 700. Are you saying I've got trouble with my one I've got? What am I going to do about the other six? No, I'm joking. Don't shoot the preacher. 700. And then he had 300 concubines. 300 concubines. If you don't know what a concubine is, that's, I don't know, I'm not going to say a sex slave, but I mean, it's basically somebody who would just... He could have sex with, reproduce, make some children, uh, grow the empire, get some more people on staff in 10, 20 years' time. You know, that's, 
That's how it works. God didn't. God never condoned that in the Bible. I mean, it, it's it's not to go into now. But but this guy with a thousand women, let's say that he could bed, that he had some level of intimate relationship with. I, I, yeah, I mean, let's let's not think about that too much. But that became his downfall. Because when you are, I mean, the Bible does say, you know, the two shall be one. And when you're doing that in several, multiple, <laughs> many, many, many locations, people, places, then you take on something of that person. And unfortunately, Solom Solomon's life's got compromised. Interestingly, we heard this morning again uh, about David. We were reminded about David, King David, his father. And, and he fell down that same trap with women. Not, they didn't have a thousand, but I think he had ten concubines. So he, 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 was, he was racking a few up, which, which was still enough. But, um, but you might know the story of, of Bathsheba when uh, basically he had an adulterous affair with her. And part of that mix-up of that plot was that he commissioned murder to Bathsheba's husband, and a really heart-wrenching, gutting story of uh, an amazing king and person that the Bible says, you know, was, was a man, you know, after God's own heart. You know, he was a, such a key character in Scripture. But none of us are exempt. None of us can go through life and get it right every single time. Only one person did that. His name was Jesus. But the difference between David and Solomon is was that David had a repentant heart. David got to a place, I mean, of utter, utter despair and grief and godly sorrow. And he bounced back. Now, he had consequences to pay, but he bounced back. Solomon didn't. He didn't have that in him. He wasn't that all-out committed. I think I would believe that he... His exceptions to the rule were maybe too many or too deep because of the nature of them. So that was the first thing, one of the early cracks. The second thing is that there was a compromise, a, a compromise in worship, let's say. And I don't want to fix too much on this because there is a bit of an argument against what I'm going to say, but I think there's still a general point. And the, the, I think it's verse 3 says, David... Uh, uh, Solomon too offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local places of worship. In your Bible, it might say the high places. High places, you, you've got to understand here that the system of sacrifice um, had always been and was always going to be up to the place of Jesus. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And whether it was a sacrifice normally of animals, but people would sacrifice, um, uh, you know, food produce whatever um, and and they would go because the temple wasn't built yet as it said they would go to these high places they weren't all geographical high places some of these high places were in towns uh, some of them were actually recorded to be invalid so it wasn't all geographical but maybe they were called high places and in the NLT I've been reading from places of work local places of worship because they were on a raised platform and they had an altar built of stones and then the sacrifice was put on there. Now, in itself, there was nothing wrong with that and God instructed that to happen. But when nations 
um, departed from the laws of God and went their own way, they would start sacrificing to their own false gods, their own idols. They would make up gods or even take elements of the God, capital G, but turn them into a little g because they are um, uh, itemizing parts of God, which is, which is not worshipping which is not worshiping God at all. And then there were just out and out idols, um, Baal and, and other, um, other gods and goddesses, false gods and false goddesses like that. So here we see, if you read the next, we're not going to go there. If you need to rec- read the next verse, I think it's verse four. It says that he went, um, he went to, um, is it Gilead or Bethel? Gilead, I think. And that was a bona fide place of worship and and Solomon actually made a thousand it says a thousand sacrifices offerings there which is incredible Um, but it does say here in this verse 3 that he offered sacrifice and burned incenses incenses incense sorry at the local places of worship there is an argument that there was some compromise in his life maybe maybe just we don't know this but maybe with his intimate connection with all the women he would take on something of their values of their gods i don't know the bible isn't clear but here early on we see in the life of solomon a couple of cracks i I wonder if the lord is speaking to us even now about cracks maybe that we know are in our lives and we've always said yeah god I know it's an issue it's not major but I know it's an issue for you I will sort that out it might feel uncomfortable me uncomfortable me saying that but I want to tell you God wants to fully release you from that he wants to journey with you out of that so that you can go from a place of even seemingly small compromise to utter abandonment and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as he would desire us to be him to be worshipped so let's slip now quickly and before we start to come into land uh, uh, into the new from the old to the new and here we've got Matthew 8 18 a reading from the message bible and let's just read it when Jesus saw that a curious crowd was growing by the minute he told his disciples to get him out of there to the other side of the lake as they left a religion a religion or is that religious it says religion oh oh, yeah a religion scholar asked if he could go along I'll go with you wherever he said Jesus was curt are you ready to rough it we're not staying in the best inns you know another follower said master excuse me for a couple of days please I have my father's funeral to take care of Jesus refused first things first your business is life not death follow me pursue life I don't know what your experience was if you're in Christ tonight what your experience was when you abandoned your life and you gave your all to Jesus knowing that you didn't become perfect overnight you came perfect in him but um but from a soul, from an emotional mind point of view, it's always work in process. We're, we're justified when we cross the line, remember? But we're sanctified. We become like God. And there are constant challenges in that. And like I said, maybe 
I think it's good every now and again, whether that's every month, every year, I don't know, where we do get shaken up, we do get challenged, we do press the refresh button, we do open our heart dangerously, like Psalm 139, King David says, search me, O God, know my heart, see if there is any offensive way within me and lead me in the way everlasting so I can give you my all. I think that's one of the most dangerous but one of the most progressive, empowering prayers that anybody can ever make. And I think it's good to pray that quite regularly because God will show us. So here Jesus is having people saying, I'm in, of course, why, why wouldn't we? Look at the miracles you're doing and you're talking about eternal life and surely you are the Messiah. Of course we'll follow you, but yeah, I've just got to sort this. Uh, I've just got to sort that. And even the sort this and sort that was serious things, right? I've, I've, I've got to go and sort a funeral. Well, the point is not to focus on the funeral too much, but the point is that actually Jesus is amplifying the fact that our old lives were death lives. We were destined to die. But our new lives are about life where we're destined to live and to live forever in eternity in the goodness of God. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, come on, let's go. You know, sometimes you have to give things up, don't you, when you become a Christian. There's a conviction that comes inside of you. Sometimes you know straight away. Often it's a gradual process. I don't know what you might need to leave behind. These doors when you leave. When you physically leave, maybe you're going to leave something in your soul realm at the foot of Jesus. And I'm going to encourage you in just a minute. We're going to sing, come to the altar in a minute. And here, interestingly, we've got a high place. It's, it's a raised platform. And we can, we can symbolically see this as an altar. And I'm going to encourage you, if God has spoken to you tonight, maybe you've come and it's all with an issue and you, it's all clicking into place. And through the grace of God and the comfort that only the Holy Spirit and the help that only the Holy Spirit can bring, you just know that this is the right thing to do, to come to the altar. I'm not necessarily going to pray for everyone. There might be that opportunity. I'll leave that to Joss to sort out. But just to come and say, God, I need to give you this. I need to walk out of this place, Luttrell Hall, on this day, Sunday the 11th of June, 2023, and leave this behind. It might come back shouting at me. There might be echoes of the past, but I'm leaving it. I'm leaving it. When I first became a Christian, one of the biggest sacrifice it was a big sacrifice for me for you it might might not be anything but we're all different um, was football I was going to church I had somewhat of a radical conversion in well every conversion at the moment is radical but you know I had a clear experience uh, with God but then I I didn't backslide I hadn't really gone anywhere yet but I I didn't really get moving very quickly I knew I had a real experience and it was amazing, but I didn't, maybe I'm giving, doing myself a little bit of an injustice. But after a year of going to church in the evening service, I really felt I should be going in the morning. 
And the problem was, I played football on Sunday morning. Ah. But you know what? I got shook up. It, was, it, was, it didn't creep up on me. It was just like, it just came, just like a night like tonight. And it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I'm gutted. Love playing with this team. I was slim then. I could run like anything. Center forward. Scored a first half hat trick, Rory, once at Stoke Bardolph near the sewage site. Don't know why that's not relevant to anything. That was about my only claim of fame. And um, so I did, I did love playing, playing football. I still love playing football. Just can't do it as quick. Uh, but I remember we used to play at Melbourne Park. And um, I remember being in the changing room just for the match, and maybe a little bit clumsily, but I just said to the manager, says, just to let you know, um, I can't remember the exact words, but I started going to church, become a Christian um, a while ago, and I, I, I just need to start going to church on Sunday mornings. It was something as simple as that. And, um, and you know what? It was the right decision. I wouldn't say it was the best decision I ever made, but it was for me because that's what God told me to do. And I was then able to grow into other things. <laughs> what the real gutting thing was, that in my mind, it's like, well, okay, kind of don't get it, but thanks for all the years you've played for us, Ali. Um, well, you know, we'll have a beer at the end of the match and uh, give you a good send off. They flipping dropped me and put me on the bench. Heartbroken. I was, was gutted. I think I'm over it. Maybe I need to come to the altar. Um, but we all have to give things up, don't we? That maybe are obviously wrong, but there's some things in that instance that aren't wrong, but they're wrong for you and me because God's told you. Does that make sense? So I wonder what it is. I, I wonder if you are carrying some exceptions like I was in the week. And my exception was um, something a little bit personal, which we won't go into, but, uh, but another thing was just the amount of time that I was actually spending online God stuff, but it started to creep into the me and God personal stuff. So God's dealt with that and I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. See, we can't serve two gods. Matthew 23, 37 from the message says, you must love the Lord your God with, here's that word, all, oh no, wrong one. Matthew 6, 24, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. And it might be God money, it might be God and relationships. For me, I was going out with a girl, and I shouldn't have been. We were dating, we were doing all the things, filling the blanks, all the things that a non-Christian would do. And God convicted me, and I didn't quite listen, then he convicted me again, then I sorted it out. It's the kind of stuff, I mean, that's maybe a bit radical, but that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. So, back to Matthew 22, 37, where we started, the Message Bible says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. 
Remember, we're not talking about a perfected state, but we're aiming for that. Because Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We, we need to be seeking that end. So, what might be your exception that you're going to bring to the altar? Maybe it's a lack of commitment. Maybe it's, maybe it's serving. Maybe you just think, you know, stuff gets done in the church. I can just drop in and receive. And that's good. Would rather that than you be at home. But maybe you know that you need to step up. Maybe actually your stepping up is a lack of confidence. Maybe a lack of confidence is your exception to the rule because God is saying, I've given you a gift. You need to move in this. You need to maybe even create something in the Rock Church around this gift, not just slot into a rotor or a serving role, but what I've given you. Maybe that is an exception to you living the full life in Christ. Maybe it's giving, and I don't want to repeat the words of Joss, but just remember and reflect what he has said. I said this morning to the guys that, that we're in a place where we are launching out into the deep. God is clearly showing us that the fulfillment of our vision is as close as it's ever been and it's somewhat Im imminent, whatever time scale that looks like. So we're going out to Ruddington. It's an exciting time to be part of this church. You know, we're, we're rocking in the morning. We're, we're plans over the next few months where we'll reveal to you. We want you to come on board where we're kind of a little bit of repurposing. This, this you guys, this congregation was an overflow of the morning. But we've realized that this has got some stickability. It's got some stability. It's, it's got some growth in it. It's got some significance in it. So we're going to be inviting you into that and helping you understand that and re-launching, uh, if you like so that we become our own community. We can still nip up to the morning if we can't come to the evening and vice versa. We're all still one church, but to give ourselves a bit of our own identity in this community with people who love and care for you and start to build these seats going back and see everyone filled. We can fit another 100 people in here. How cool would that be? It's going to happen because our area is West Bridgeford. It's, that's a big place, 50,000 people. So, you know, we've, we've got lots to go at. Is it a lack of attendance. I was speaking to Paul about this, actually, well, not specifically about this, but I was telling him about how it used to be back in the day when I was a Christian. You know, you went to church twice a day and a midweek Bible study. Uh, and, and you weren't coerced, but you were kind of, there was an expectancy that that's what you did. Now, I know that life's different, commitments are different, time's different, but God's not different. I'm not saying you should go to both and you should commit to this, but I'm just saying is God speaking to you about your commitment to maybe attending a course, attending church, meeting up with mentors and all that kind of good stuff. Maybe like you, your exception to the rule is a relationship. Well, we don't need to dig too deep into that. God will clearly tell you if that is the case. And it's not always a, a sexual or partner relationship. Sometimes it can be in business. It can just be friendship groups. And you just need to cut that tie sever it in some way maybe totally who knows but God will show you that maybe like me it was your time and how you're utilizing your time maybe those cracks that start appearing might be your job how much do you rely on your job to bring you your income especially if you're self-employed oh well I've got to do this I've got to pay the bills well, I, don't know. I don't know about you but God pays my bills 
through people, but he's the provider. Maybe it's not equipping yourself, studying, learning, getting into the scriptures. Maybe you've got 101 excuses and the reality is you might have two or three out of that 101 that are worth any soul. You can bring those of the 98. Yes, 98, good math, Sally. You can bring those of the 98 to the altar in just literally one minute's time. Maybe it's your lack of faith to see healing for you, other people. I don't know. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's drinking, eating, watching porn. Look, you know what it is. All I can do is encourage you to come. So let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing this, Come to the Altar. And I'm going to pray for us all that God would help you, the Holy Spirit would guide you, and that you would come. Just come. All I'm asking you to do is just come somewhere at the front around this high place, quote unquote. And just spend as much time you need. You can stand, you can kneel, you can do what you want, and just present it to God. It can be five seconds, it can be five minutes, it can be an hour, whatever you want. But let's make sure that we do business with God tonight, that we come to the altar and we give him what we need to give him to move out of this place. Let's pray. During this song, thank you, Joss, for clarifying. During this song, come during the song, and then Joss will wrap up in whatever way he sees fit at the end. Father, we thank you right now for your word. We thank you that it brings life. We thank you that it produces fruit, good works. Thank you that it releases us into our destiny. Thank you, more than anything, that it brings us into the all of the gospel and the Christian life. So why don't you start coming now? If you know you've got to come, start coming now. Don't wait for the end of the song. Do business with God and see him do a miracle in your life. Thank you, Lord.